Yo, what's up? We're just getting getting started here. Patrick Drake, how you guys going? Good. How you doing, Miles? Pretty good, bro. Pretty good. Chilling, man. God's blessing. That's all I can say. Just sorting out some of the invites in the meantime. How are you guys going with your spaces, by the way? I know, I know you guys have been hosting your own. Have you been finding yeah. it? Yeah, so uh, we switched it up a bit. Drake is doing one at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays now, which which I'll be joining as well. I'm focusing more on doing project-specific ones now rather than doing one at a, at a set schedule. Okay. Yeah, you, you can jump in there. Or... You can jump in there tomorrow if you want. It's, it's more degen. <laughs> the problem is... Um... Drake, it's like six AM for me. But oh, sometimes I'm oh no, we're it's so six AM like, right now. Well, no, it's nine AM now. But like your space is three hours earlier than this. I, my bad, I my bad. But like if sometimes I'm up at like eight, so I don't know if there's a little bit of overlap. Um, but yeah, Wednesdays I also stream on YouTube, so it's tricky with gotcha. the with the times on here but to to be fair i do a lot of traveling so that i'm sure there'll be times where i'm in like for example i'm going to the us um probably like in may and then i'll be in europe june july so so to coordinate gotcha. that. okay just jason do you want to invite to speak i don't know if there's like a glitch or something spaces is notoriously glitchy And I also invited Ted and Umbrella. Well, in the meantime, while everyone else is joining and, and sorting that out, um, I guess Patrick, you can maybe go first. How are you? How are you feeling about the market at the moment? I mean, honestly, I. I'm feeling pretty similar to how I was. I think some sort of pullback was inevitable given how quickly we ran up. And it honestly, I'm, I'm surprised that, that things haven't gone lower. Um, haven't even made it back to 20 K. Yeah. I, I, I guess the, right the one now. thing that has me, well, I was going to say though, I was going to add the one thing that has me worried is this new sec news about Robin hood. Uh, I do wonder if there's a bigger hammer coming at some point. Uh, yeah. So could you explain exactly what, what happened with the Robin Hood news? Okay. Yeah, so there was, was there was just news a few minutes ago, wasn't there, that the SEC served Robin Hood for, um, or opened some sort of investigation into Robin Hood for listing cryptos? Yeah, Robinhood subpoenaed by SEC over brokerages crypto business. Subpoenaed by the Securities and Exchange Commission as the regulator investigates the firm's cryptocurrency business. Yeah, I guess it's just another um, another cab off the rank for the SEC. Yeah, I mean, and I think we've seen in some cases these don't amount to much. It's basically a slap on the wrist. But but I do worry with all these actions that some sort of, like I said, that, that the hammer is going to come down at some point. And even if they can't stop crypto in the long run, I think they could do some damage to the price in the short run. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah. Especially when it comes to, like, a lot of these U.S. US on-ramps. I mean, we can't forget, like, basically the entire bull run in 2021 was fueled by, like, you know, retail speculation. So those people need easy access. And although, like, long-term, there'll be a lot of workarounds and obviously regulated exchanges that they've got to allow you to on-ramp, it does kind of, it is definitely a headwind, especially, as you said, in the shorter term. Um, because, yeah, these ecosystems aren't developed enough to thrive on their own, and they do need, like, at the end of the day, the day like, we do need some level of centralization, especially for mm-hmm. people, like, especially for new people coming into the space. So things like Robinhood yeah. were super, like, easy, because people already had, like, their stocks they were day trading, and they could easily, like, buy some Bitcoin or, like, interact with, um, you know, certain listed projects. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, I think... if people remember, a lot of the, um, not obviously not the run-up going through 2020, but that big spike early on in 2021, a lot of that was precipitated by people on Robinhood buying Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that entire meme pump, um, like that was a huge liquidity injection. Exactly, and, and I think a lot of that translated to to other things as well. And I remember when there was that whole GameStop Wall Street bets thing, there were accounts that were posting about that. Some of them switched to posting about Bitcoin and Dogecoin and saying, you know, oh, if you want to fight the system, the way to do it is to buy Bitcoin and Dogecoin. And I think that people underestimate how much liquidity was injected via retail onboarding through Robinhood and some of those people then switching to actually going into uh, down the crypto rabbit hole. Jason, I saw you joined as well. You all, you all good now? I don't know if he's on yet. Yeah, for some reason, every time <laughs> Patrick... Yeah, I was going to say, for some reason, every time you speak, Patrick, I, my mic gets rugged or... I, I Not mic, but um, the... Whatever, the audio gets rugged and I can't hear a word you say. It's weird. Oh, weird. Can, Miles, can you hear what I say or not? Yeah, I can. Can you can you hear him, Drake? Or I, I can hear him now, Still but not. I mean, it's it's like weird. It happens at random times, and I have to drop mm-hmm. off and reconnect. Uh, I I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like I, oh. you you stopped. It seemed like no, you stopped okay. talking, which was weird. Yeah, that's that, that that's my uh, that's my team of hackers um, connecting to your phone and disconnecting you. <laughs> Jeez, and that's a common. It's a common issue with the, with the spaces. I used to get that glitch all the time where, like, you couldn't hear certain speakers, but you could hear other speakers. And then, yeah, you just need to reconnect and rejoin. Um, yeah, the other thing to consider oh, okay, with regulation... So the other thing to consider with regulation is you have yeah, a lot of people ahead. who work in the industry. I mean, me and Drake, for example, who, you know, you know, I believe in crypto and I'd like to continue, <laughs> continue to do what I do and to do more in the industry. But if if the government says, you know, you can't, uh, I can't operate with things on chain. I can't discuss crypto. If they go that far, then it could become very difficult to work in crypto in the U.S. I mean, I've mentioned that myself, and I think, yeah, I think a lot of others are in the same boat where they're like seriously considering like a, um, like a shift in terms of where they where they set up their business, where they develop where they base themselves. I'm sure you've also thought about that, Patrick, like if the, if this continues going down this path in 
you know, 12 to 24 months want to be based in the US? It's like a, a genuine question we have to ask now is not only creators, but projects as well. I've said, like a lot of be migrating, especially to the UAE. But it, like that, at the end of the day, that's terrible for the US. Like it's really, really bad. Like the last thing you want to do is drive innovation offshore. Like the, it's weird because the US is like a nation. When you think about it, it's, it's built off innovation, especially like um, Silicon Valley and the tech innovation that's happened over the last two decades. That's really been like a driving force behind like the um, the global dominance of the US. So to like take probably what is the next biggest technology and the next biggest innovation in the tech space and then, and then like seemingly regulated to death. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of years. I'm just kind of preemptively like speaking now, um, you know, say they do regulate it to death. That's, that's not going to do any justice for the US. There'll be countries like Dubai, like, yeah, the UAE, um, some of the Asian countries that, that are just going to say, okay, you, you mm-hmm. can come here now and we'll give you massive grants to develop. Yeah, I think they're making a major miscalculation. Uh, that being said, I do think that the U.S. could potentially, if they went down that route, again, it would be a miscalculation, but I could see the U.S. being a hub for some of this uh, NFT and DeFi activity that's being built on Bitcoin because both the CFTC and SEC seem to have a much more favorable opinion towards Bitcoin itself than they do towards towards other chains. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's it's actually an interesting segue into a conversation I want to have when um, Umbrella's on because he's... Um, like really well versed in this space and that's like DeFi and Bitcoin obviously like with stacks and um, like some of the stuff that's happening in the NFT ecosystem it's it's kind of an interesting narrative yeah, at the moment in conjunction with the SEC stuff that's, that's I think Umbrella would be a great person to discuss that with as well but if you have any initial thoughts um, Patrick on like how you see that Bitcoin I mean it's kind of a controversial one because a lot of the Bitcoin maxis they're kind of very anti-change well, or at least like not that open to like innovation. Um, mm-hmm. Although it is hard to innovate on, on, on the Bitcoin network, obviously, for, because of its constraints. But do you see like any viability in, in the Bitcoin DeFi ecosystem? Yeah. So one thing I'll say is that I've always say, said that counter to what most people do, I actively seek out chains that have a very high market cap compared to their TVL. And that's counterintuitive because most people say that high TVL compared to market cap means the market cap's undervalued. But I would say high market cap compared to TVL means that the DeFi ecosystem has a lot of room to grow because that's a ton of liquidity that can be injected into DeFi without any new money entering the coin or entering the industry. So so imagine that Stacks is able to get more applications up and running, more DeFi applications are able to launch on some sorts of Bitcoin layer twos, then there's a ton of Bitcoin liquidity. And even if only a small percentage of it flowed into DeFi, that would be a massive amount of money that would be injected into that ecosystem. So uh, something that I'm watching closely, um, I'm not going to LARP and say that I was holding stacks. I wish I was. Uh, but but I think that it does have a lot of potential. And what about you, Drake? Do you share that thesis as well? For me, I'm actually looking at the protocols that generate the most revenue. I think uh, TVL to um, market cap is more of a meme because let's say, for example, you have a protocol that, uh, I don't know, charges, let's just use the DEX, for example, uh, half a percent uh, or 0.05% 
in swap fees. Well, if you have a protocol that charges 0.3% um, for whatever service, service it's offering, it could be like leverage, um, so it's able to charge more. Uh, the TVL doesn't have to be as high, and it, yet it generates more revenue. And then I also think um, that protocols that participate in stock buybacks, or in this case, it would be buybacks of its token, is also very bullish on the protocol because at that point in time, um, just like in the stock market where you have these buybacks, it also juices the quote unquote earnings per share or earnings per token. Um, And I think the protocols that have the highest earnings per token in the next year, two years maybe, uh, for DeFi will be more of a stronger focus, in my opinion, or at least some form of um, way to measure uh, revenue or at least value generation. Uh, that's that's also why I'm extremely bullish on a lot of these solidly forks right now, because several protocols can pay like a dollar worth of or can pay like a, a, a dollar in bribes or for every dollar in bribes, they're getting like two, three dollars in liquidity sometimes even more like on equalizer. I think it's like $7 in liquidity and these protocols are actually generating money by bribing. So they're actually getting paid to create liquidity for their token, which there's a lot of people that don't, don't understand that, but the people that do are taking advantage of it. And there are protocols out there that are taking advantage of it. But anyways, that that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Great. Drake. I want to clarify. I think maybe, Maybe my point, I wasn't clear enough. I'm saying I actively look for chains that have low TVL, not chains that have high TVL to market cap. Because ah, if I they have low was, TVL, then that means that there's... I got you. I thought you were talking about like protocols in general. I was like, well, I, I guess that's uh, counterintuitive, but sure. Yeah, I'm saying I look for chains. Yeah, so like, you know, Bitcoin, like I was saying, you know, if Bitcoin DeFi could get off the ground, then really only a small percentage of BTC has to enter for that to be a massive amount of liquidity. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Skating where the puck is going is much better than skating where the puck's at. Like everyone's bullish on Arbitrum, um, but I mean, look at the liquidity inflows. People are starting to rotate um, to optimism. There's a narrative on optimism with like the, the Coinbase chain with a percentage of those fees actually going back to the OP token. Now, of course, it's not live yet and not functioning, but crypto runs on narratives and that's generating a narrative, just like the Bitcoin narrative with Stacks. I mean, there's not a lot you can do on Stacks DeFi or Bitcoin DeFi, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's not much you can do, but yet it's a narrative in crypto and it usually overprices that. Um, things are always going to price in a lot higher on the hype than when it actually comes to reality. Um, so hype driven markets are always exponentially more than what it actually is. That's why you have the dot com bubble or like in the crypto bull markets, it just goes astronomically uh, high. Um, and the same thing is true in a bear market. It goes way too low. Uh, humans are emotion driven. And when fear hits, <laughs> fear hits. When greed hits, greed hits. So um, I, I would yeah, say... Yeah, and that's something I want to touch on yeah. later for sure, especially like um, some of those that altcoin stuff. I also have some alpha in the OP ecosystem that I definitely want to get to. But um, before we get into all that stuff, I just want to kind of give a quick run through like the, 
the schedule today. It'll, it'll definitely be a shorter space because um, in terms of news, there's not... I mean, there's still a lot to talk about, but it's probably not as like um, like as big of a news week as it was last week. Um, so essentially what we're going to do is start with um, Jason and we'll run through like the, the charts and have a look at like where we currently sit um, in terms of the market as a whole. Obviously, we got the monthly close tomorrow. So lots happening this week, I think. Um, on the Bitcoin front. And then we'll get into some macro stuff with Ted. He's going to join and give us an update. Um, PCE came in slightly hotter than expectations last week. So that did shift the market's perception of um, the next uh, rate hike. So there's definitely a lot to speak about on the macro front. That's obviously the major reason behind why we why we did get a bit of a sell-off uh, from that 25K region back to 23.3. And then afterwards, I want to talk about... Um, and especially when Umbrella joins, I want to touch on the Bitcoin stuff a, a bit deeper. Uh, talk about Solana because clearly there's been a lot of issues there. And then at the end, we'll we'll get into some of this altcoin stuff again. So um, before we kick off, I want to thank KyberSwap for sponsoring or partnering with the space. Um, they're a DEX aggregator. So if you want to trade on, on a DEX in DeFi, you'll get the, the best rates um, using KyberSwap. And I've linked a tweet you want to if you want to go straight to their page where you can access their website always good to go through the actual websites guys rather than like googling it because sometimes you get dodgy like links so better to go through like coin market cap and go on their website or through their profile um but i think i linked kyber dow i'll link kyber network as well but yeah all right let's get straight into it so jason you you live now yeah i'm all here can you hear me all right yeah yeah Sweet, sweet. I was getting so, interested in that conversation about Bitcoin and the DeFi stuff going on. Optimism, Arbitrum. I, I mean, I've just been watching the chart on Optimism a lot and it's just been going up and up. I'm just waiting for a OP BTC pullback. I mean, it's definitely something I want to... Yeah, I want to discuss that a lot further. But the problem is that the L2 stuff's a rabbit hole that I think me, Drake, <laughs> uh, Patrick could go down for like hours. Was, so I just, yeah. I just want to like tick off the, the macro and Bitcoin box. Sure. That's obviously very, very important while you and Ted are available. Um, and yeah, ne- next week we're going to have, uh, I think, XO back on the space because I think he was great last week. And we're also going to have Alex Kruger for some macro stuff. And yeah, I think next week's panel is going to be really, really big. I'm excited for that. But I think it's also good to do, um, yeah, to just keep the consistency with the weekly spaces yeah, as well. Sure. Some weeks are cooler than others. It's just the way it is. Well, I think you guys are cool, um, but but clearly, like news wise, it's not as like exciting. As, oh, I mean, as that's maybe what I mean. By the, the amount of news coming in, some weeks are hotter, some yeah. weeks are cooler. But no, no, mm. you've, got a, you've got a good space today. It's it's easier to listen to just a few people than you know have a dozen or so. It's um, that's good. Yeah. So, so yeah. Do you want to give us your your thoughts on where we currently sit? I think last time we spoke, um, we were basically pushing twenty five, and then. Like a pretty steep projection off that level. Uh, I guess it felt like that. Like what Drake was saying before, the whole industry is just run off emotion, which uh, essentially is all finance. And it's not just retail. It's the institutions. It's everyone. They have their plans and their quants and, you know, all their systems. But then they're all just emotional beings anyway. So it all just it all comes back to that at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the emotion with that steep sell-off, it really wasn't anything so far. If I just draw it back to a week. Uh, we're still at pretty high prices. The week closed out at twenty-two, uh, sorry, twenty-three and a half thousand. So 
sure, we'll get a pullback. I think it's probably going to be shorter lived than a lot of people are expecting, uh, just based on you know, what the chart's got here. Anyway, it's just you know still higher lows, higher highs, uh, reasonably strong closes. I mean, I'm not saying that we're going to go up this week or up next week, but I don't think it's going to be this catastrophic drop below the current low of 15K. Like, that's that's not coming in. Uh, I say not, but, I mean, in terms of a probability, I can't see that happening. There is obviously that slight chance that it does. That's talking about Bitcoin. I did a video at the beginning of the of February on, on my channel um, just looking at the possibilities of how February would line up based on previous years. And so far, it's given us all three all three directions. So I was looking at if February goes up, it will only be slightly more than the January top. That's typically what's happened in the past, especially after a solid move in January, which is what we, we saw. We saw a pretty good run from 16 to 23 or 24K. And February was, my options were, if it goes up, it's only going to be slightly more. We're not going to have another big pump month. If it dra- trades sideways, we might get a little bit of a pullback or just stay within a trading range. And um, so far, that's that's what's happened. The pullback was less than I thought. It only went to 21.3. The move to the upside was pretty small. We only uh, exceeded the top by 4%. So it was a 20, 24,000 went to 25, so not that much. And basically, we've been in a trading range since the middle of January. When you look at that peak there at 23.3. We are now 23.4, so basically trading range for the last six weeks with heightened emotions because of how tight the trading ranges have been. So in terms of what's happening next, I'd say March, when we're looking at our cycles, March looks like it will have a slight pullback into the beginning of March, and then we start to, to track sideways and up for the rest of the year. I know we've got some big macro stuff and the, the bearishness and you know, look out for this indicator and that. I, I can't see it happening this year. I don't think it's going to be a mega bull run year, but it's. I don't think it's going to be that catastrophic drop below previous levels of um, 15.5K for Bitcoin. And for the S&P 500, you know, the macro markets of the world, I can't see us going below 3,500. Obviously, there's a slight chance that it does, but I, I'm, I'm weighing my eggs in the basket of it's not going to break the, the 35. If it did, it wouldn't be very much at all. Like the next support's at 32. So it's it's barely 10% from that low and then we'd start to recover from that point. So yeah, all of this macro stuff is essentially noise to the market while we continue to print a bottoming pattern across uh, Bitcoin and across the S&P 500. So I just pinned your tweet um, about your Bitcoin... Oh, Wyckoff uh, schematic. Can you maybe run us through, through like, um, yeah, what what you see in terms of the the Wyckoff and how that how that potentially uh, alludes to to a bottom formation? Yeah, I, I mean, from the last updates, I think I started putting this together uh, last year. Um, sometimes they break down, and so that becomes a distribution. But in this case, it looks like we're forming a, an accumulation, and. Really, it looks like we're testing the upper bounds of the trading range at the moment. So the, the upper bounds are 25k. Smart money, or you know, whales, if you want to call them that, uh, they're basically playing the game against each other. I know retail loves to get on this narrative that they're out there to take us, and 
and they're out here to screw us. But at the end of the day, retail doesn't have that much money compared to the other whales. And so they want to take money off the other whales. Um, so they're essentially they're just fishing for is there more supply coming in at these levels at 25K or 24? If there is more supply, let me get out first, dump the market, and then let me buy back in when the demand looks like it's drying up. And so those levels so far, since the November low, those levels have been drying up at higher and higher prices. So they've had to keep keep pushing it up. It's um, it's also like we've ticked into the sub one year roughly until the Bitcoin halvening. Is that um, does that factor into your calculations in terms of like evaluating where we currently sit in the cycle? Not particularly. I do it for the for the retail viewers on crypto Twitter and crypto YouTube because <laughs> it's essentially a narrative again that everyone loves to look at and say, oh, this is what happened and, you know, it's a halvening, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, it's really just like a four-year cycle. And I think the four-year cycles had a, a bit of a, um, like a negative spin throughout the years or at least this last bull market because people were expecting the same pattern of the, the four-year cycle, you know, a blow-off top and then a dump. But when I look at the four-year cycle, I'm looking at it from – timing of a bottom to a bottom and we've had it play out almost to a t with bottom to a bottom being approximately 12 months sure this time was like 378 days i think so you know add another two weeks to it in the 2015 bottom it was like 411 days so add 50 days to it you know, you're talking about big time frames here, so you have to give some tolerance. So the four-year cycle is bottom to bottom, and when you're looking at is the next cycle going to be strong or weak, it, it depends on where the top comes in. So you've got a four-year plan. If the top comes in after the halfway point, so after two years from the bottom, that's a strong cycle. If it comes, if the top comes in within uh, the first two years of the bottom, that's extremely weak. And I think maybe this is just a, a theory that I'm that I'm putting together for the the, the grander cycles of the economy and uh, real estate and and, and um, you know stock markets at large, where I think we're still pushing up. From this point, I think the low was most likely 2022, end of 2022. They were the lows for the macro markets. Uh, real estate's sort of bottoming at the moment and will start to push up. But if we're pushing up all the markets into 2026, you know, uh, barring the whole economy thing where, you know, a lot of people are doing it tough, yada, yada, we get that. We're just talking about making money here. Um, Bitcoin could push up to a, uh, another strong bull market top which should, if, if 2022 was the bottom, the top should happen after like end of 2024, 2025. Then we could pull back and push up again quite quickly. The retail would expect that to be really strong. They'll say, sweet, I bought the bottom and it's running up again. That's going to be extremely weak to the macro picture and then cause a longer bear market. And so people will get confused and say, oh, the four-year cycle's not working, blah, blah, blah. But it, the four-year cycle is bottom to bottom. If the top comes in in the first two years, it's weak. If the top comes in in the second two years, it's stronger. So, you know, if that if I, if it needs some more clarity, let me know. Yeah, I think I think as well with just touching on what you just said, it's very easy to get wrecked. Um, like you, you can be following a general cycle structure, like like you are, and may and, and like in the long run, be generally right in the direction. For example, like you know, I have extreme conviction over. You know, five to ten years that a lot of um, basically that the total crypto market cap 
will be a lot higher than it is today. But in the short time, in the interim, it's very easy to get chopped up trying to play short-term games, trying to play hmm. swings, trying to play, um, yeah, trying to get too greedy with short-term narratives and that kind of stuff. So I think it's the important message like to the viewers would be don't the short-term pursuit of gains like impact or impede your ability to stay in this market, survive in this market long-term where we know like, the biggest gains will be coming. Yeah, especially um, because... now. Like now is a great time. We'll look back on this end of 2022 and uh, early 2023 as I think probably the bottom. The S&P, regardless of these other bearish narratives and CPI and all this sort of crap that comes in, it just keeps confusing people over and over again. Part of the cycle is this is probably the bottom here, end of 2022, early 2023, and then we start to move up. After that 2026, I'm not sure whether the whole you know, Bitcoin crypto is going to be extremely great for the next 10 years, but I think it'll do extremely well in this second half, start, the second half of the 18-year cycle. And it's going to go crazy because people love to speculate on absolute garbage, which the majority of crypto space is garbage. There is some good stuff there, but the majority of it, we, we have to agree on that. The majority of it is absolute crap uh, yeah. to make money from people, take money from people, really. And that is what people love to speculate on, like we looked at last week. I think Drake brought something up last week looking at uh, the 1920s and how the, the, the masses of retail just went nuts on stocks. That's because that was the first time they were really allowed to invest in or trade in stocks. And they got absolutely wrecked at the end of the cycle, which is what I think is coming next. I think next cycle is going to be very different from the last one. I think in what, um, in what way? I think every cycle, the market gets smarter. I think every cycle information, there's like a premium, a premium on information um, compared to the last cycle. And I think that, that playing the game is going to be more difficult in the sense that last cycle, you could just invest in, anything and everything and you were guaranteed to make like a 10 to 20x minimum as long as you took profits and got in like prior to the run whereas <laughs> I, I felt like that cycle... was 2017 2017 was so easy and then 2021 yeah, each, each i thought was gets, much more difficult yeah each cycle gets a little bit harder and i think yes. uh i think this next one's going to be like there's going to be a real onus on research and being able to like identify winners amongst um amongst like a lot of rubbish and i think when it's not going to be as easy as just like one big L1 rotation, just having all the L1s pump, I think you're going to need to really dig deep into specific ecosystems, become an expert in those ecosystems and um, th think a lot more critically. So I think like everyone listening to this space is in a great position because, I mean, we're, it's early. It's it's like February 2023. Um, mm -hmm. We're extremely early and obviously everyone listening here is like into crypto Um basically either full-time or on like at least like a substantial regular basis um i'd assume whereas like what what you're going to see is like a lot of new retail just flood into the market like like we saw in 2021 and and um the, i mean those are often the guys that get wrecked i think you need like one or two cycles under your belt or at least yeah. like significant you see knowledge the same of thing the sort of happen to succeed yeah, it happens again and again, uh, regardless of what industry it's in. It's crypto or it's stocks. If they're penny stocks, it's the same as crypto. It just goes absolutely bonkers. There's going to be more of them, so it's going to be your your attention is going to be spread across so many different cryptos. Whereas last cycle was like, oh, dog coins. We really had like three major ones to choose from, and then the rest of them didn't really pump as hard. Um, you know, next cycle maybe it's going to be five or six. Like, how do you choose the ones? Probably Doge, probably Shib. Like. It's just that sort of cycle. Um, did you want to pin that last one there? I've got the Bitcoin monthly chart. So going 
broader yeah. again with volume. And so I was looking at volume, time, and pattern equals probability. Yeah, this one's super interesting. Yeah. I'm so, putting it now. Yeah, for, for sure. So just looking at macro charts here, uh, the, the volume aspect, which is where we're looking at, say, for the, the, the most amount of trading going on at particular areas, you can see from, from the chart, and uh, you know, if, you're not, if you can't see it at the moment, I'll explain it, tops and bottoms typically have extremely high volume. And that hasn't changed. It won't change. It's just part of cycles, really, especially when it's new industries like this, like cryptocurrency, because you get that extreme emotion. So the example, the most recent example was the FTX collapse in November 2022. The volume was extreme, like the, the highest volume that the chart uh, that the market had seen prior to that was basically the May low in 2021. And going back to the next one was basically the first exhaustive move in January of 2021. I think that was January there. So basically when the market started to uh, to heat up a lot, and then we only had a couple more months left after that point. So it's really indicative of significant lows and highs in the market in these younger markets. It's a little harder to see in something like the S&P, but if you go out to a broad enough picture, you can potentially see uh, the bigger moves there. And essentially, that's just volume. It's uh, the market coming into dump on, well, the, potentially the whales, or you call it the smart money, dumping on the unsuspecting new buyers at the peaks because of the excitement, and then the smart money buying up at the bottom, supporting the price. 2018 to 2019 was a pretty good example of that at the lows, where we had November, December of 2018, and the volume was extreme compared to the previous eight months. And the, the price didn't go anywhere. So when you start to see that, that's basically support coming into the market. Yeah, I'm just looking at this chart right now. Um, yeah, this is a typical. It's a typical pattern across many markets, and it's explained in Wyckoff as well. And it explains why, like exactly that's that particular reason. You have a lot of panic. Everyone's trying to dump. And you see it on all time frames as well. So if you guys are trying to trade an hourly chart or you know 15 minute chart, you'll see it at particular areas. But just remember, they're not going to be macro turns because you're on a 15 minute chart or an hourly chart. But you'll get turns for you know a smaller period of time. Maybe if you're trading a 15 minute chart, it'll be over a few hours. Uh, and then if you see that extreme volume come in, you're like, well, it looks like smart money's trying to sell and test where the su the supply is going to come in again or where the demand comes in again. How do you think macro affects things? You said before, like you. You think a lot of it's noise? Um, uh, are you paying yeah, attention lot... to the to like the rate hike cycle, like the the adjusted probabilities? Only, only for retail investors because that's what they want to hear. Like, it's that's what the majority of people they're like. Well, rates are going to do this. That means this is going to happen. You know, rates are going up, which means everyone's going to not be able to afford anything. And it's 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 not playing out the same way in the markets. You know, I know people will be having a hard time. Like, I, I don't understand how. Uh, many people can have a sufficient diet with how expensive crap is in the shops now, you know, meat and produce <laughs> and things like that. Like, and, and rentals, it, everything is just crazy high. But I'm I think I'm spending trading. like $50 a day on food, like legitimately. Because I'm like bulking, I'm like into the gym. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm easy. legitimately spending 50 bucks a day on food. Like, it's I crazy. Know, I meet, I meet 40 <laughs> to 50 bucks a kilo here. So I'm eating, you know, Even 300 grams, 40 grams. Yeah, exactly. Minimum. But, but it's like, you know, if I was trading that, then I would be tip so so bearish. And like, how are people going to get through this? But I'm trading the chart, and the chart is not showing that. Like, it's just showing that we're going up. Yeah, and I was going to ask Ted a question, but he 
I think he's back now. Yeah. Um, because I think it's re- I think it's related to what you're saying. I'd, I'd be interested to get um, Ted. You just rejoined your your opinion on on I, I guess starting with like last week's PCE data because it came in slightly hotter than than expectations and how you think that affects um, the market or maybe the next like month or two heading into well the next month heading into the next FOMC. Yeah, of course. Hey guys, sorry the app's been dropping in and out. Quick shout out before I start speaking. AB right. Villiers is in the space. That's pretty damn cool. Um, so hey, AB, if you're listening. Yeah, the legend. The man himself. Yeah, one of my idols growing uh, up. That's uh, pretty cool. Anyway. I've, I've got to be honest. I'm not, I'm not too happy with cricket at the moment <laughs> after watching the Australia-India tour. Oh, um, mate. It was hard it's, to watch. It's, it's a disaster. Yes. It's a disaster. Very much so. I think it's going to be a clean sweep. We, we're just not good in India. and like the, I don't know. There seems to be issues with the squad. A few like players... Sent home like Warner, Renshaw, like I don't know. Yeah, doesn't it's it's ugly. We, we, yeah, we need we need to see him come over here, face him we'll, on. Uh, we'll do a separate cricket wickets. chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like we might need it. A cricket spaces. That was a fun match. Maybe can hook Australia get destroyed the, uh... by India. Oh man. Yeah. Anyway, PCE uh, data. Yeah, we'll... um, yeah, it came in hot, so that is obviously a little bit of a risk off shift. But I I agree with what Jason's saying. To be honest, so 2022 was a year of capitulation, destruction. Um, 2023, we're coming out of that. We're seeing a shift in, in global liquidity. China's coming on board. They're stimulating their markets. The Fed is actually not having as much of an impact with their quantitative tightening. You know, they're rolling $60 billion off their balance sheet per month, but what they're doing um, with fiscal spending in the US is actually outpacing the impact of that QT. So it's really just flatlined more than anything. Um, so it's a matter of does the US raise that debt ceiling and that's a whole other situation. But the point is that things aren't as dark as what people are making them seem with all these macro threads and everything. I know I make them myself, but I try to be a bit more to the fact and to the point, whereas people are writing doom and gloom and it's over. Uh, Jim Bianco had me had me almost selling my portfolio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> After, There's a lot of clickbait after reading, I was like, crap out there. <laughs> Um, but what Jason is saying that we could already be seeing a bottom, it's just a matter of accumulation in 2023, which that's the same line of thinking that I'm along as well. You know, this range is going to be pretty painful. We're going to see data come out at resistance and sell back into the range and then data come out the support, come back up into the range and some liquidations either side. Um, that's going to be the story of 2023, I think, until um, we see a true shift in risk appetite, which would have to come off of favorable economic data so when we see pce coming in hot um, the job market still remaining strong that's suppressing risk appetite because the market's still worried about rates being higher for longer and even going there was some research that came out i was looking at yesterday pointing to a terminal rate of six and a half percent for the fed um, and that's another 100 100 mm. almost 200 basis points from where we are now so so let's say that that is what ends up happening another like not necessarily saying it will but Another 200 basis points. How do you think that affects markets? Um, well, exactly what I was saying before. So I think that's just going to force a very range-bound environment. Um, we may see new lows. We may not. Um, after the capitulation that we saw across crypto exchanges last year, it makes me think that if we can't force new lows, um, you know, after you know we've already recovered the price where, where FTX went down. So um, thinking logically, um, what is going to force new lows? Is it going to be another institution blow up? We had DCG report one and a half billion worth of losses in 2022. That hasn't really impacted the market. So what is going to drive that? 
We're at peak Fed hawkishness. Oh, it would have to be... I think it would have to be something on the regulatory front. Like, in terms of blow-ups, basically... I mean, obviously, there's still some knock-on effects, but every big player that needed to blow up or was extremely, like, over-levered, I think, at this point, most of them already have. Of course, there's going to be a couple other ones. I think probably regulation's a a slightly bigger threat to me than another, like, leverage blow-up. But, um, like, I think what happened last year was the... At least, like, the local bottom was rapidly accelerated beyond what we've seen in other cycles due to, like, the severity of all these collapses. And that's pretty unprecedented. So it probably meant crypto... Um, the crypto sell-off happened or kind of front-ran um, a lot of, like, other... Um, a lot of other sectors, like like the stock market. So what we actually could see is, like, in line with what you're saying, if we did get, like, a, a 200 BPS, um, like, what what would essentially potentially happen is crypto would drop, but it, it may not come down to those lows. It may it may drop to like 18, 17, because it just doesn't have that crazy sell pressure that it had during FTX, that it had it's during... Essentially, Luna, sort of looking for Celsius. a narrative. Sorry to cut in. I had a question for Ted, because, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm of a similar opinion. That's what we've been talking about. Uh, with the lows, it seems like the market is trying to find a narrative to push it lower. My view is that it's the bears will get extremely loud. This is probably one of their last chances, one of their last chances uh, to push it down. So they'll get even louder. We probably won't go past those lows. I say probably. Um, so that's not going to happen. I say not and probably, but basically the bears are going to get really loud now. And basically the question for, for you, Ted, is we're looking for a narrative to the downside. What do you, what do you think some of the narratives are to the upside? Because if we're both of the, the view, or many of us are of the view that this is the, the bottoming process, it's really going to take a narrative to get it back up. We know the cycle is going to head back up, but there's going to be a narrative. And if we can sort of foresee that narrative, we'll start to see the news shift in that direction. Do you have something that um, you've been noticing in terms of a trend towards a particular, say, slightly bullish narrative? Yeah, I think you guys mentioned it as, as in terms of cycles. You know, it's a common retail cycle that um, the Bitcoin halving typically between four, five and 300 days before the next Bitcoin halving, that's when the bottom happens and we start ramping into the halving. That is one thing that's going to get retail back involved, I think. But what is going to get um, those bigger players involved again is, I think, some trust around regulation. So we're seeing the SEC move towards regulating the space, but there's not much clarity at all. For those guys to jump back in, we're going to need absolute clarity on what you can and can't do in the US and what the SEC are going to do to intervene in the rest of the globe. But that shifts towards more of a crypto intrinsic narrative, um, which I think we can all see starting to take shape. On the macro side of things, I think I think we spoke about this in the last space or a few weeks back. The job market in the US is the single point of focus, I guess, for me at the moment, because that hasn't deteriorated yet. We've seen inflation start to come down and and some impacts of that monetary tightening start to play out, but the job market hasn't felt any of that yet. And it's between six to 12 months of when the, the Fed start tightening that we see a deterioration in the job market. So if that happens, the Fed are going to have to uphold the other side of their mandate, which is maximum employment. Of course, the other one being stable prices, inflation. So they're going to have to do something to maintain the strength or up keep keep the employment market afloat if it starts to deteriorate. And we could see that towards quarter three or even into late quarter two this year. So if the signs of that come about, the market's going to start betting that 
hey, we've done too much on, on the rate hike side, we've done too much tightening, the Fed are going to have to step in and undo what they've done with quantitative tightening and what they've done with rate hikes via quantitative easing in some way to stimulate the economy, get the job market back afloat, and then the inflation picture becomes even more complex because, of course, if you're starting to stimulate the economy, that puts more pressure on inflation. So it depends where inflation is at that point. Is it in, in the realms of, okay, we've done, we've done enough to get it back down and trending towards target, but now the employment market is starting to deteriorate. Do we have to stimulate the economy to uphold the job market now and see how inflation plays out? So you could have this ebb and flow of the Fed move to a pause, but then Is it just me or did Ted cut out? A shift to... Yeah, he cut out from me. Is he back? Did I cut out there? I think I had a... Yeah, okay, you're back now. Yeah, you just yeah. cut out for a couple of seconds. Where did I get up to? Um, That's your job, Miles. Where did you get up to? <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you were kind of cutting out a bit. Um, I've forgotten exactly what okay. I... I was just saying... Just repeat what you said over the last 30 seconds. Yeah, so the, 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 for me, the focus is the job market in the US. So if we see that deteriorate into the second half of 2023, the Fed are going to have to maybe shift their focus to that, people losing their jobs, the unemployment rate skyrocketing, and that will be um, a totally new situation for them to face and for speculation to come about. Do they have to move to, to cutting? Um, and where is inflation at that point? If inflation is tracking towards target, they can be comfortable and start to, to talk about stimulating the economy and getting the job market back on, on the right track. So that could be a narrative that pushes the market to speculate on the next round of easing. And if you've got the Fed easing to, to uphold the job market and then the ECB start to see the same thing in Europe. And then over in Asia, we've got the Bank of Japan, which that's getting a little bit dicey there, but China are stimulating their economy. Um, you're going to have the major central banks of the world start to stimulate their economies at the same time for different reasons but of course all that means is there's going to be more liquidity about to to place on riskier bets and that probably takes shape towards the back end of 2023 and into early 2024 which lines up with the bitcoin you know what's funny, well. Ted? that um <laughs> that's that's a coincidence um or maybe not yeah you know the, what the funny thing is like exactly what you were just describing like essentially you're saying kind of like you know the fed becomes handcuffed at that point so it's funny because the entire rundown in 2022, like barring a lot of the crypto collapses, that was kind of the narrative being pushed by the bulls. So like, I don't know if you remember, but like there was a lot of dip buying, especially from like 40 to 30 to 20. Like obviously, you know, a lot of people fell into that trap, got wrecked. Even I fell into that trap around like, especially like the, the, the initial dip between 69 to 60 to 50. I think I started cooling off <laughs> around 40, realizing shit, this is going to, last a bit longer so by no means timed it perfectly but um in terms of yeah in terms of like the narrative that the bulls were sticking to it was like the fed the fed's handcuffed that like they're eventually gonna have to pivot they're gonna wreck the economy they're gonna wreck the job market that you know they'll need to start easing again but that like didn't happen i think as quickly as people expected and then like the reality set in and then of course you had all these major collapses so could that could the bulls like initial um excuse for why they were buying on the way down like potentially end up being the actual reason why we go back up, but just at a much like delayed at a much later date to what was previously expected. If that 
Yeah, I think the issue was the first time around when the Fed started speaking about tightening was recency bias. The Fed have done this before and then they've... Um, so in 2018, there was a credit crisis in the US when they started to taper, the taper tantrum. And we saw that, you know, that didn't work that time around. Inflation started to tick up and the Fed tapered. And all of a sudden, there was a credit crisis in the US markets and they had to come back in and start providing liquidity again. This time around, the market was thinking, oh, you know, you've, you've done this before. It hasn't worked. Um, we're going to call your bluff. And it's only been since about you know, early February that we've seen longer dated treasuries, the yield on longer dated treasuries start to outpace the, the short-term treasury. So that is what's called steepening of, of the curve. And we're seeing um, a bear steepening. So that means that investors are, are quite pessimistic about you know, risk asset prices in the short term. But over the longer term, they don't see inflation coming down. They're more worried about um, the rate increases from the Fed. So that's where we are now. Um, about the about what you just touched on in terms of the shorter term, you did a tweet and I'm going to try and get it up. Yep. Um, basically saying like equities are like have finally started to follow the bond market, but crypto remains stubborn. Do you think in the shorter term we could see, because um, like Bitcoin's been fairly, well, I mean, it hasn't, it, it's historically been correlated, but like over the past few weeks, we've seen like a somewhat of a decoupling. Do you think that rectifies itself? Because if it does, that points to like 20 to 21K Bitcoin, right? If we do end up getting yeah. uh, that, that correct. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I, get your I, tweet up so it makes more sense to the audience though. Yeah, so what Miles is speaking about is essentially that markets are all one trade. And with the correlation of crypto to US markets, particularly over 2021, 2022, and even Chinese markets now, we're seeing um, how risk assets worldwide move together and the bond market in the US drives how equity markets move and that has a flow and effect to crypto. So the correlations, if you have a look at the tweet, I'm not sure if it's pinned yet, um, you see yeah. Yeah, post-CPI, um, in February, so a couple of weeks ago now, and the bond market repriced higher for longer, rates uh, moving in excess of 5%, but equities, US tech stocks and US, the S&P 500, they didn't move really at all. They just continued higher and continued to drift higher. Bitcoin followed. But what's happened in the last week is that there's been a rapid repricing in US tech stocks along with the bond market. So they followed that um, that direction that was pointed out by the bond market in early February. Um, equities have followed, but Bitcoin is still remaining stubborn. And yeah, like you say, it could could point towards Bitcoin moving towards 20, 21K, which to me would be a logical pullback. But from there, you know, if the one year and the three month treasuries can get up towards 5.5%, they probably plateau out there and we start to see some balancing out and, and some range-bound movements in the treasury market, and that should help equities and crypto consolidate for the next leg higher. Um, so I don't think it's, it's... Yeah, and I do think that is a short-term... Yeah, it's a short-term trade. It's, it's, it's like a short-term view, yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I kind of... Well, that's the only thing really that's got me worried about. Like, obviously, I've got like a, my long-term um, vision and setup and plan, but in terms of my short-term trading plan, which you know, I probably use 10% of my portfolio for that kind of stuff... In terms of my short-term plan, I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines just because I'm slightly concerned about that being the case. That's the only reason why I'm not like aping into like buying this dip now. I've made some small buys on altcoins that I think is like slightly undervalued in a few like key sectors I like, which we'll talk about at the end. But I haven't gone crazy into aping this dip just because of that. 
maybe crypto in like the very short terms overly buoyant but i don't know if you, the rest of you guys share that share that opinion yeah i mean the one year is up but at it's, but it's probabilistic. Now, it's not and that's roughly around the, where the fed are communicating their terminal rate if we get communications in at the next fmc that the dot plot is going higher and we need to go higher on that terminal rate you're going to see another move in the treasury market and whether bitcoin and equities follow highly likely um, but you'll see another repricing higher in those yields, and then you can expect further downside in Bitcoin and equities. But once we get to that 5.5% or thereabouts on the one year and those short-dated um, Treasury yields, that's probably where it starts to top out. And you know we see what we saw towards the back end of 2022 when the Fed communicated about 5%. We got there, the markets dipped, um, all the Treasury, Treasury yields dipped, and then crypto and equities off to the races. So it's, um, yeah, just the, the good thing about this is that the bond market is being very proactive in pricing in this data. So it's happening, you know, in a matter of days, it's not a slow grind. Um, but I think the, the more worrisome thing is that those longer dated treasuries are now outpacing what the shorter dated ones are. We're seeing a steepening of the curve and that indicates that, you know, condition that the, the bond market is actually taking the Fed for its word on higher for longer. But once all of that's priced in, I think, you know, what's the next narrative? The Fed's going to cut, they're going to go going to going to easing again. And then we've got the narratives that are intrinsic to crypto, more regulation and the Bitcoin halving. And I think that's enough of a recipe for the next leg higher um, eventually. It's just about being patient, like you guys were saying earlier. Yeah, it's like that all just comes down to timing because we kind of have a rough picture of what the next like the next step is but like i don't know how many months can can this game last for that's the real question we have to ask ourselves do you, do you have do you want to take a stab at predicting that or is it just kind of a, i'd say by quarter three impossible. we're seeing a, a pretty significant change in what the fed is saying okay interesting that could mean like yeah that could mean like a sell-off at some point before q3 but then you also have people like gareth soloway that have, have this opinion um that what's going to happen is stocks eventually like have like a, a massive sell-off, maybe twenty to twenty-five percent. Um, if the Fed keeps like raising rates, maybe sometime early Q3, late Q2, and like that'll that'll be Bitcoin's catalyst for um, putting in a new low, at least on like the monthly. So, yeah, well, the correlation you know, between US equities and a- cryptos down well off the highs. So it was trending at about not zero point nine eight almost a one-to-one correlation, but recently it's, I don't know, I think I'd have to pull up the data, but I'd imagine it'd be down towards 0.75 or 0.8 or something like that. It's, it's dropped off recently quite significantly. Do you think we see like a, yeah, like a re-acceleration of the correlation? Or um, It's hard to say, um, really. I'm not sure exactly what would, would cause that. Um, yeah. Because the sell-off in the S&P would like undoubtedly result in like a significant pullback in, in crypto, especially altcoins, maybe Bitcoin not so much. Maybe like, yeah, if the S&P dropped 20%, Bitcoin probably drops around, I don't know, roughly 20% as well, I think. Like it's in the past, it's probably outpaced the S&P, so it probably would drop 30, 40%. Yeah, absolutely. But like given the, given the correlation, I think probably 20 to 25% would be my estimate. Obviously, all coins in that case probably get hit 50%, with 50% drawdowns. Um, but I guess the real question is, do we, see, do we see the stock market pulling back that much? And that would mean probably the S&P coming down to like 30, 
3,200 to 3,300. If you look at it from a psychological point of view, like everyone wants that. Um, I don't care if you're a bull Mm. or if you're a bear, everyone wants that. And that's the point where everyone wants to load up. So peak hawkishness right now, most of the hiking's out of the way. Yeah, we might have a bit to go. We've had blow-ups left, right and centre in crypto. VC world in traditional markets is not going great. Everything is pointing towards the worst is out of the way. I don't really see what can a narrative that can force us to the lows other than going to 6% for the for the Fed's terminal rate. Um, and even that is not the end of the world scenario. It's more likely to be a slow grinding process where we, we carve out an accumulation range and then rip to the highs when everything's a little bit easier. Um, you- well, I think, well, I think we, job numbers would need to fall off the cliff, like the jobs report. And then, and then like maybe there's, I don't know, but that could also be a good thing because that means the Fed um, starts cutting again. So it's a weird one. Like good news, good news is bad news. Bad news is good news almost. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Um, Drake had his hand up though. So I want to get to him. Yeah. I just have a curious question. Um, I, I mean, I know uh, China is uh, starting to pump money into the markets. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious if this is a point where we see um, uh, crypto uh, separate from the stock market, um, mainly because it's in um, it, it's not a market that's in the U.S. I mean, it's it's kind of you can consider crypto like its own country. Does that make sense? Um, like the country is online. It's that that's yeah, where global it asset lies. Yeah. yeah, that like it, it's not. Um, it, it's not like liquidity is leaving the U.S. Um, just based on what we're seeing. So this is a. a I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. There, there is a name for it. Um, emerging markets. Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Okay, so. I would consider crypto as an emerging market um, being that it's it's still growing and there's a lot of technology developing and it seems like liquidity would be flowing to crypto. I, maybe I'm looking at that wrong, but I feel like this is a time where we could potentially separate from the stock market itself. Is Is that like, what do you think on that, Ted? Yeah, I mean... I guess the, the institutional narrative that was pushed in 2021 is like, yeah, these guys are going to throw big money at crypto, but these guys also pay big attention to what's happening in macro because, you know, they've got, um, they're drawing loans from left, right and center. They're paying interest. They're um, considering everything that's going on in the U S economy and the global economy as well. So it's a case of whether these guys go offshore considering that crypto in the U S is becoming under heavy regulation and they shift to somewhere like Hong Kong that we spoke about recently. It could be opening up as a crypto hub. They start to open LLCs in Hong Kong and um, move operations. And then we could see more of uh, a sensitivity to Asian markets, which I think we're already starting to see. If you pull up the, the Shanghai Composite Index and Bitcoin, there's a very strong correlation between that. And yeah, that could be just a matter of all everything worldwide is interconnected. But like you say, if, if that is the case, we could see a shift away from ties to, to the US market and more of a global, um, you know, what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening in China, what's happening in the US, what's happening in Europe, and not being so tied to what Jerome Powell says at every FOMC meeting. So that that, that could happen, but um, Ted, I wanna, I'm not convinced just yet. I want to quickly ask you, what, 
what your view just like for a minute is on Australia's um like regulatory approach to crypto because it's it's quite we have like a, quite a lot of Australian viewers and I've been getting a lot of questions like what do you think of token mapping um I've got my own opinion but I'd be interested to hear like what what you think um I mean to be honest they've been pretty indecisive with how they want to regulate but yeah what do you think of that latest yeah I think it was like a um yeah it was basically just a document like a like a, a rough framework by the end of March they're going to start like acting yep and then there was Binance the other day closing down derivative accounts of people that didn't quite meet it was more a fault of Binance to be honest from yeah. what I was reading where people were classified as wholesale investors but they really didn't match the criteria under ASIC I think the issue is lack of clarity like you said the same thing in the US is happening here in Australia and around the world Every, everyone's trying to follow what the US are doing and they can't really get it together. So what what kind of hope does everyone else have? It seems like Australia want to promote it and have it in, in our economy and in our financial um, system, but they're, they're struggling for clarity. So I'm confused just as everyone else is, to be honest. Um, I've only got the access to the information that everyone else has read, but it seems from, from what I was reading where... Um, they don't necessarily want to treat them as securities, but they want them to be um, more transparent and open and have... So how do... It's so weird. It's actually really frustrating. For someone like that's in the industry, like 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 me, and I obviously I'm a content creator, but also work with, you know, projects and stuff. It's very frustrating not have having regulatory clarity. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Like, how do you even approach this as like a content creator or a cryptocurrency, a uh, cryptocurrency like firm based in Australia because I know people that are starting projects here they're like we don't know if we're like breaking the law now because no one's giving us guidance um, so that you know it's like tough how do you even begin to approach yeah I mean it's a tough one I think it's a case by case basis really um, getting the right advice and getting lawyers involved and making sure that you're doing the right thing but even like accountants and people that are familiar with crypto in Australia or becoming familiar with crypto in Australia getting advice from the ATO, getting advice from ASIC, they're still confused. And I think it's a case of someone has to lead and everyone else follows because at the moment, um, everyone's sitting on the fence trying to work out, oh, this person's telling me this, this person's telling me that, uh, but they're not acting on it. So I know even accountants that, that I'm working with, they're um, kind of just gathering advice and moving towards waiting for, for, for bigger, like super funds and things like that that are um, allocating funds into crypto to see what they do and then follow their lead because it's, it's a big jump in, in a space that previously hasn't really been regulated or spoken about. I think it's a big problem. It's not just Australia. It's obviously worldwide and in the US as well. I think it's a problem when you're using framework from 1940 and also like more recently, like things like the Corporations Act from like 2001 and trying to like basket crypto under like a very outdated act that struggles to even apply to like modern tech companies, let alone like web three companies. That's like exactly what we're seeing in the U S with the Howie test. Um, like very, very old outdated framework being applied to new technology. Doesn't it's, I don't know. It, it just leads to a lot of confusion, but yeah, that, that, that's probably my biggest over the next year or two, both catalyst and headwind, because I'm, I'm a firm believer that regulation long-term is like a good thing especially because there's a lot of, exactly like we just said, there's a lot of people like super funds and stuff sitting on the sidelines or maybe not as deep as they want to be because they don't know if they can. I think once they get clarity, 
th- there's going to be like a huge wave of institutional capital into like inflow into the space. But how long is that going to take? Like one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Like there's no real timeline on it. And also in the short term, we're going to see like bearish reactions to some of the news that comes out because people like the market lo- loves to overreact in the short term. So we're going to see. I'm sure the SEC coming after big players, market panicking, and then you know hopefully what, all we can hope is that long term it, it pans out and yeah I think it ends up being bullish personally but it's yeah it's a bumpy ride to get there yeah absolutely and these things are just starting to be spoken about so it's going to take years um, to get things right and to even get things implemented I think there's a lot of red tape. Um, around governments of the world. Yeah, for sure. Especially in like developed countries. I think, yeah, that's probably the reason why we've seen a lot of crypto companies launch in um, the UAE. Like, especially with their two bill, uh, like Web3 ecosystem fund now, like they're being, they're kind of saying, okay, look, the West is taking their time to figure this out. They're being too slow. Let's use these next few years while they're sorting their shit out as an opportunity to like onboard the best, smartest developers in the space. And like basically be the hub of innovation here. And and we're not only going to accept it, but we're going to actually actively financially incentivize you to live here. Not only through tax, but through like grants from projects. So it's pretty crazy. Um, It's like the total opposite approach, really. I think that approach will end up winning out, to be honest with you. But but let's let's see what I... One thing I wanted to add real quick is... One thing I wanted to add real quick is there is going to be at least one crypto project, probably multiple, that decide they're going to stick in the U.S. and they figure out how to work within the regulatory framework. And for that reason, whichever project does that and is able to dominate the U.S. crypto market is going to do very, very well. Well, Stacks is SEC compliant. Are you, is that a subtle shill? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, that, that, I actually didn't have Stacks in mind there. I, I had a different one in mind. but um. But but there's a few projects yeah, that that are yeah. working on that, <laughs> and uh, and they um, yeah, and, and whichever ones are able to pull that off because I, I don't think the U.S. is going to allow crypto to completely fall by the wayside, but they might adopt regulations that privilege certain U.S.-based projects. Yeah, that's actually interesting, favoring U.S. specific projects, and also like U.S.-based exchanges. Like we've kind of seen the subtle attack on Binance. Like being what what I would consider, yeah, like as a non-US based exchange, at least like not like efficient officially based in the US. So we've kind of seen that maybe the BUSD thing was like a subtle attack. So I wonder, I wonder how they. I mean, the thing is though, like even Robinhood now is on that. Even Robinhood and um, Kraken, who are US based, they're facing scrutiny as well. So it doesn't seem like they're holding necessarily international exchanges hostage is kind of everyone right now but yeah maybe, eventually the maybe, ones but, but, but look at the way that they um look at the way that they've for example worked with coinbase over the over their position towards binance and and i think one thing and this is probably gonna be controversial that i think is i i think at some point there will be some u.s regulators that decide that even though it's maybe not right it's not logical they don't, they have a problem with the largest smart contract network having a, uh, you know, even though it's decentralized, it has a foundation that's that's working on it that's not based in the U.S. And they're going to decide that they want a major smart contract network that has a team that's based in the U.S. 
and they're gonna and they're gonna adopt regulation. I think that privileges a network like that. So basically, add to Ethereum Pro something else. Yeah, and, and like I said, I don't think it's logical actually understanding how these things work and how the technology works. But I think that that narrative is going to develop at some point where they're going to say that these other networks are anti-American or you know they're enabling money laundering or whatever narrative they decide to use, and that you know X Y Z regulatory compliant U.S. based network is the one that people should if, be using, and if I, it's not if good for decentralization. No, I was going to say if I was the U.S. government, what I'd do is I'd just buy up as much Ethereum as possible, spit up some of my own validators, and then just like jump on board because they're not going to be able to stop it. I would just get on the train instead of trying to fight it. That's possible as well, right? Maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll adopt that uh, strategy. That's not out of the question. And it basically costs them. I mean, it's not good for us, by the way. Like we, oh, it isn't. It isn't. It's good for price. So if you're just all about money, then um, then yeah, it's going to be good. But in terms of like decentralization and why this actually exists, then it's pro- that's probably not a good thing. But if you're the like, I mean, the U.S. government has unlimited, unlimited money, essentially. <laughs> I mean, Ted knows with all the money printing. So it, it, it's not actually that capital inefficient. To, to go down that approach rather than trying to like start a new, start like an entirely new ecosystem and punish other ecosystems. It wouldn't actually yeah, the, the good news is to buy like half, half the Ethereum network doesn't even put a dent on their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although, although the question is, you know, then that, then, then that gets back to the um, sort of uh, some of the logic from the original Bitcoin white paper is if they do that and then make the network not usable, it basically makes their spend worthless and maybe that's worth it to them to destroy the network but i i I honestly don't think the u.s government is moving that quickly but i do expect some sort of narrative to to uh develop at some point by people who maybe don't understand that it's a decentralized network to say that you know americans should be using a network that has a foundation based in the u.s or that has most of the nodes based in the u.s or something like that just just because of that's they want people to be using financial institutions and in quotes that are based in the U.S. Well, Patrick, we don't know who who started Bitcoin. Like, could for all we know, it could be one of the governments. I'm not saying it is, by the way. I know that triggers people, but like, we, we don't know. There's no like guaranteed way to uh, verify. Um, it could be one big social experiment. Yeah, no, but but I think I think what they're going to do, and and again, it's like it sounds illogical to people who spend a lot of time in crypto, but they're going to conflate offshore exchanges with networks that are dominated by developers or validators that are outside the U.S. Yeah, interesting. Drake, do you have any opinion on this? No, not really. I, I, I try to, I guess you can call it politics. I try to stay out of that junk. <laughs> You're just a numbers guy. Numbers guy. I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, even if they they try to shut it down or close it down, I mean, even if it closes out of the U.S. Again, my my opinion is I I look at crypto like it's its own market. I mean, if the U.S. closes it down, okay, well they close it down. It's just going to go to another country. I mean, it's just what it's going to do. Just like China um, making crypto illegal, it didn't shut it down. It's it's still function. We're going to have um, a a one world payment system, and crypto is the one, or cryptocurrency is the technology that's aligned to do it. 
period. And as an investor, you can't really trade on the sole basis of one regulatory outlook because, I mean, it's basically like a, it's a losing battle. So you're just better off sticking to your, your plan, sticking to your thesis, and then just letting all that political stuff sort itself out because you don't have an edge there. Like not just yeah, like, I mean, you, to be honest, you can't most change of us it, don't have but... an edge on macro. We don't have an edge on, on regulatory compliance. Yeah, you, you can't you can't change what's going to happen. I mean, it's just going to happen anyways, whatever happens. So, I mean, there's, in my opinion, there's no use stressing or fretting about it. Just go do it. <laughs> like, do what you should do. Like, keep researching, looking at these different projects. Um, place a, a, like, if you have conviction on a protocol, you can put, uh, place a bet on it. But when in doubt, always get your principal back as soon as possible and then, you can let the house money ride. That way, if there is regulation and they close everything down, who cares? You you won. I mean, sure, you missed out on your profits um, capturing those, but you at least had your principal. No harm, no foul. You move on for another day. I mean, that, that's how it is. Yeah, at the end of the day, they can't shut it down worldwide, let alone in the U.S. Um, you know, there's too many networks that are too decentralized. And there's too many people who have money on chain, right? Even if they closed all the all the off rooms at this point, there's billions of dollars within the U.S. that are on chain, let alone in the in the um, rest of the world. So I, I think it'll be futile, but but we have to expect they'll try at some point. Yeah, and I, I mean, cool. just thinking about it, not thinking about it, but yesterday uh, or two days ago, someone was just trying to pay a deposit for a house, and it's stinking took like four or five hours just to try to get it paid, and we we still couldn't get it done. Because uh, Cash App wasn't working for them, they never signed up for it. Zelle wasn't working properly. Banks were closed. And I was like, "You got crypto?" And I was like, "No, but I heard about that. I should be looking into it." And I was like, "Well, we just wasted five hours. We we could have had this done by now." I mean, it, it's like <laughs> it, it's a better alternative. People are going to flock to it. So basically, I think Ted just left. So what I want to do for the last thirty minutes is. Um, get people to drop their questions in the comments section. So you can either just reply to the tweet on my profile or in the bottom right corner of the spaces, there's a little chat button. If you have any questions based on what we talked about today or just altcoins in general, because I assume this this will be more of an altcoin focused, probably slightly more degen discussion. Um, yeah, drop your questions in and we'll, we'll, we'll start answering some and discussing some. Um, as a panel, and also like I, I forgot to say this while uh, Jason and Ted were on, so sorry guys, but I'll I'll make up for it next week. Make sure you go follow all the speakers. Um, I have to remember to remind people to do that each week because they're great and they they've been Drake and Patrick especially have come on every week. I'm gonna be supporting this this spaces journey that I'm on, so make sure you give them a follow. Um, support them out as well. I know they do like a lot of their own spaces and they're great great creators and speakers. So make sure to do that and also. Um, Shout out to Kyberswap as well, the the official partner of the space. Um, if you, if you want to trade on the Dex and and get the lowest rate, so there's also a pin tweet. If you want to check them out too. So let's get into it. I, I actually want to pick up on the optimism discussion because that was probably it was very interesting, but I had to cut it because of uh, Jason's time constraints. But um, I'd love to pick back up in talk about like Coinbase with their new L2 and how that maybe affects the optimism ecosystem. Because obviously Arbitrum has been the focus uh, leading up to what should be an airdrop relatively soon. I mean, if I were them, I'd do it really soon. Um, but I'm sure 
they're aware of the time pressure. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into optimism. If any of you want to kick that off, Patrick or Jake. Patrick, if you want to drop some stats or some picks you're looking at, I I can go after you. I, I seem to, or I tend to rant long. Oh, that's okay. I mean, the thing I'm thinking is I I feel like this news with Coinbase opened up a lot of people's eyes to the fact that optimism is more than just a layer two roll-up. It really is the whole OP stack, as they call it, which which is a whole stack for creating layer twos. And it's almost like, uh, I don't want to call it an interoperability protocol because it's not, but basically it's, it's, it's a, uh, it, it, it allows people to build their own layer twos. And then eventually if you read the announcement, Coinbase and Base, these networks, these layer twos will be connected in a super chain that basically is like, is like a mesh of different layer twos that are scaling Ethereum if the plan is executed properly. Uh, and if we want to talk, if we want to talk stats here, then I mean, if you just look at on-chain transactions on optimism, which I think is a good indicator of what, where people are actually using DeFi and, and doing activity on chain, those have been up majorly. I'll look at a actual numbers in a second. Yeah. So they were running around 200,000 a day before the announcement. And then it jumped up to over 400,000 on Friday. And then it's pulled back to around 300,000 since then. And if you look at the stablecoin flows, then uh, just in the past seven days, the total stablecoins on Optimism are up six percent, and they've been there's been flows into Optimism every single day since the announcement. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder. Well, I guess they would be bullish unless they're they're farming. Um, but I mean, as for me, like on Optimism, you. Like you, you kind of went over a bunch of uh, the stats with flows of different tokens into optimism. I mean, you can look at the uh, chart TVL as well. It's simply on DeFi Llama, and you can see that numbers up only. Now, I mean, w- not up only, but the past few days it has been. Uh, it, it could be from the OP token increasing in price, but I mean, of course, Patrick just t- stated stable coins are coming in. You can see the liquidity flows. Um, it's like there, there's an app. Uh, it's like Whale Tracker or something, but it basically allows you to see what liquidity inflows are. And there are some different altcoins that are going to get appreciation from it. And there's actually a lot of them that are all, already seeing a lot of traction. Um, and you, you can see a lot of the optimism tokens, especially like Velodrome and the Velo token. That's basically going to be uh, your barometer um, and as well as the OP token. Um, the Coinbase chain, the reason why it created a narrative for uh, optimism itself is because a percentage of the um, trading volume or the volume, like the chain volume on the Coinbase chain is actually going to go back as revenue um, to optimism as a foundation. Now, maybe not bullish for the OP token holders because you're really just governance. However, it's bullish for the optimism chain itself because if the um, optimism foundation is getting this as revenue, they're incentivized to keep juicing in that OP token to bring more liquidity over. So it's just like a yield farm, but they're able to create this cyclical flywheel by creating value in Coinbase chain as an example of the value it's creating. If they're able to create multiple quote unquote subnets like avalanche but 
instead it's like layer two subnets using the OP stack, then it can create this cyclical flywheel where they can keep juicing in the OP token and bringing liquidity to optimism as well as allowing other protocols to um, build on the uh, tech stack. So that that's my thought on it and why it so creates a really good narrative. How would you play it, Drake? Would you look at like other like interesting, exciting projects in the optimism ecosystem? Or would you wait for like Coinbase chain to launch and then like start to have a look at some of those projects? Um, I think when Coinbase chain launches, uh, that's when it's going to be a sell the news event type of thing, or at least a couple days before it. And then obviously if people are seeing good stats, it'll be a flywheel up. Um, an example of this like is like GMX. Um, Al God, I think was his name when he announced that he's getting out of his GMX position at like 60 bucks or 65 bucks, the thing crashed to like 40 bucks. And now if you look back at it after the announcement and the news, it was like, oh, wait, that was a buying opportunity. Um, now, that's not saying the news is a buying opportunity, but it's like you, it, it's the opposite for when it's a um, selling position. So if someone is saying, hey, look, mainnet starts on this date a month from now, well, it's going to be bullish going up into that and people are going to front run the narrative. And then when it comes around the corner, when people are like, oh, it's going to explode now. No, that's that's typically when it dumps. It's a buy the rumor, sell the news event. Um, so, I mean, I would say me personally, if you're playing this narrative, um, you can tell a lot of the altcoins have gone bonkers on optimism. Now, not crazy uh, like in uh, price wise, but you can see a lot of people are looking for the lower cap coins. An example of one of them is Quinta. Um, the stats are crazy on it. I don't know if people have uh, seen Quinta, but it's basically built on the synthetics tech stack and the volumes on it. It's, it's crazy. It's like GMX on roids. Um, and they're also paying users in a, in the Quinta token. So it's also incentivizing trading volume, but it's like, 500 million uh since inception which if you it, it's crazy like that, that's a lot of volume um in the circulating market cap of the token itself is only like 25 million now the actual market cap the fully diluted it's like 230 million but it's a meme um because the tokens that they're releasing they're locked quinta tokens uh, so any of the tokens that you farm from trading or staking, they're locked for a year. So it's similar to like the GMX model, but Quinta is built on the synthetics tech stack and um, the the stats on the dashboard. If you check it out, it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's a lot of trading volume on it and they're incentivizing traders to keep using the protocol. And you can trade more than just um, like a couple of cryptos like Bitcoin, ETH and whatever. You can trade a bunch of different tokens. You can even do like ApeCoin. Uh, they have a bunch of different trading pairs. You should, well, I don't know if you checked it out or not, but look at Quinta. Um, that's just an example of one of the coins. And then other people are um, moving to smaller tokens that you can look on Velodrome, like One Ring Finance is basically taking advantage of the Velodrome flywheel. Same thing with FBOM. Um, they're basically bribing uh, Velodrome with um, incentives to get people to vote on their pool. And they're building extremely deep liquidity at a cheap cost. And FBOM, for example, has uh, a 1% tax. So it's constantly burning the token as people are 
um, buying the token to LP with it to chase after the farming rewards, which is technically a 2% tax, or actually three, because you got the buy tax, you got the um, deposit into the LP pool tax and withdrawing. So it's like they're, they're all playing different games. You just have to, if you're looking on optimism and looking for tokens, go to Velodrome and just look at the different uh, pairs that charge a or are earning an extremely high APR. Look at those and then look into those protocols, not financial advice. Yeah, one thing I want to throw in, Drake, is, um, you know, because a lot of people probably aren't comfortable picking low caps or, the, you know, they're, they're not spending all that time to research is, aside from the OP token, you have uh, synthetics, which, which uh, like Drake mentioned, a lot of other protocols on optimism are building on top of. So I feel like synthetics is also sort of like a uh, de facto ecosystem play because so much of its liquidity and uh, TVL is on optimism at this point, And there's so many optimism projects that are building with it as a DeFi primitive. Yeah, I can agree to that. Um, synthetics with the SUSD, uh, they also have V3 that launched. Um, I mean, if if you look at it, there are several protocols built on top of synthetics and it just brings back value to the SNX token. Because uh, in order to mint SUSD, you need SNX. Now, they with V3, they allow you to use other collateral um, options. But the more the protocols use it, like Quinta, Lyra Finance, um, Thales, these are just different protocols that use SUSD as collateral. This just drives more b- value back to SNX because you need SNX to mint that. Now, of course, V3, they allow you to use other collateral types, but still people are going to use SNX because it's one of the options to use in order to mint SUSD. I was going to ask you, you guys going to, because I wanted to touch on like the impact on ETH, but it just reminded me, you guys going to ETH Denver? No, not this time. I, I wanted to. I just didn't have time. Yeah, I, I couldn't make it. Unfortunately, I was planning on going, but I, uh, I got a uh, puppy, and I can't find someone to watch her that weekend. Uh, what about uh, you, yeah. Mike? He... No, <laughs> no. The oh, flight man. to the, 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 the um, how would I even get to Denver? I'd go Melbourne, LA, Denver, which is like 15, 21 hours, or I could go Melbourne. Just do it Dubai. on the blockchain, man. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not worth it. It's like. 22 hours plus, uh, you know, depending on what class you fly. Anywhere between three and 12 grand. Yeah, it's just not even like, it's not even worth it, to be honest, for a few days. But I I think I'll probably go around consensus slash Bitcoin time, because then at least you get the chance to hit like two conferences. Because for me, it's not worth the time just for one. But if I can hit like two or three, then it's worth like staying. That's probably my plan to do Bitcoin. I'm assuming you guys will be at Bitcoin Miami as well. Yeah, I mean, that's like a rock throw away from me. Well, not a rock throw, but I can drive there. So, yeah. If you need passes and you can't get them, just DM me. I'm pretty sure I can sort you guys with free passes. I think we got... Can't turn that down. We have done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys are creators, so they, they always want creators at these events. It's good for the event at the end of the day. Um, yeah, but I was going to, so the reason I pivoted into the conference thing was because I was just thinking about the impact of like of the the Coinbase chain on ETH because obviously they don't have their own base token yet, like 
clearly long term, that's probably where they, well, not clearly, but like likely where they pivot. But in the short term, ETH is like going to be the the, the gas. So do I don't. I don't know bullish... if they'll do. I don't know if they'll do their base token because they have a different form of value capture for Coinbase. They have the Coinbase stock, um, which is yeah. their kind of value capture. Because if you look at it, the value to them for bringing Coinbase chain is that if people are looking on like on Coinbase and want to try the DeFi experience, instead of just going away, people are going to go to DeFi. This is why CZ was talking about forcing everything to the BNB chain. He knows that. His value capture me- mechanism is in the BNB token because they have the same thing, EIP-1559. They basically hold like all of the tokens. Um, Coinbase is the same stance to where once you take it into DeFi, you can now create an NFT platform on there. Um, since, well, first off, Apple, they basically blacklisted their little NFT thing and said, hey, yeah, if you want to list this, you got to pay like 30 or 40% to us. Um, well, not them itself, but any of the traders. And I was like, well, that's dumb. Um, we're not going to do this. So now having a, a, everything on chain and a Coinbase chain, this allows them to monetize in that way. And then any of the users that are looking to try the DeFi experience can go straight from uh, Coinbase into um, the base chain. And this is beneficial to their um, company, I guess you can call it, because people are now like, oh, I'll just sign up with Coinbase and go through them. And I'm sure they have some form of partnership with Optimism where it's like, hey, look, we're, we're yeah. driving this much revenue to you. Where's our OP incentive? So they're probably getting some OP tokens, too. It's it's a flywheel. It's, I, I look at Optimism and the OP tokens. Uh, I, yeah, I do. It should be bullish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it's Coinbase saying that they've decided that Ethereum is the future of smart contracts and that rollups are the future of Ethereum scaling. And so that's what they've decided to build. Um, I think it's not shocking. You know, it would have been more surprising if they built a chain on some other solution. Uh, but I think it's it, it uh, is one more moat that Ethereum has that will make it difficult for anyone to ever be a quote ETH killer. I think they chose Coinbase optimism because of the OP token. That's that's my thought because um, they can get some value capture from that. Well, there's also overlap, I believe. A number of members of the OP team came from Coinbase. That would make sense. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Okay, so there's probably a connection that um, Arbitrum, the Arbitrum folks might be a little bit pissed off that, that, that they didn't land the partnership. Uh, they'll be okay. I think they'll be all right. What do you think about the, the Arbitrum airdrop, Patrick? Like, we've been obviously talking about it, speculating about it for many, many months. Are we, how? I don't know. I mean, the tough thing is, I don't know at this point, I guess with this news with optimism, there's a little more pressure. I almost feel like things are going so well for them that while now is the time for them to capitalize and just blow things out of the water and attract all that liquidity from ETH mainnet, I almost feel like they might be better off not doing it because it adds the risk of increased regulation. And it also, it, well, first, it adds the risk of increased regulation. Second, it adds the risk of people who were on the chain for airdrop farming leaving. And third, it runs the risk of potentially annoying, pissing off um, key community members, depending on the parameters that they set on the drop. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's just... It's, it's tricky. Go ahead. Like, 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 let, me, let me ask you this, Miles. If 
after, you know, all the, well, not that they would give you an airdrop for coverage, but after everything you've contributed to the Arbitrum ecosystem, you know, probably all the activity you've done on chain, if you didn't get any sort of airdrop, would you be a little bit salty? Um, probably. I mean, person. Yeah, I mean, probably because I've, I've done a lot of um, from the I would creator be, right? side of things. Yeah, pro- right. Pro- and it's the not creator like creator side of things. I'm not sure because, like, I don't know. We don't really expect anything as creators, like in terms of free tokens. Or, or were you thinking, like, maybe they would? No, 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 no. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying in terms of just everything you contributed. But like, yeah, for me, for example, if they yeah. said, like many airdrops do, that you, if you're in the U.S., if you, you know, connected through a U.S.-based IP, that you're not eligible, then yeah, you know, I'm still going to cover Arbitrum, but like that's, even if I know it's illogical, that's still going to affect my perception of the network. And so, so I feel yeah. like there's a lot of risks for any sort of parameters they do. Yeah, I mean, especially I, I when just, you attribute so a token to a chain, you bring on that risk because if the token price goes down, people don't like the chain anymore. But if token number goes up, people like the chain. It's just reflexive to that. Uh, in a I lot of Patrick- projects... I, I'm kind of a, sorry, Drake, for cutting off, but I'm no, kind you're of good, the you're opposite. Good. Um, not the opposite opinion, but but I think as time goes on, the longer they leave it, the more the more people start to get pissed off. The more like airdrop farmers start to go like, "Stuff this! This isn't happening anymore." And and it kind of I think the chain loses traction if if it just if they keep delaying it and delaying it and delaying. It. I, I don't think it loses too much traction because the experience is great, but they are going to like. It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if they don't, they will lose traction, especially with what's happening at Optimism. And they're, they're under a lot of pressure to launch. I think, I think like the next few months that they, they, they have to. I don't know. It's it's really just risk reward. Like they obviously have a team that are working out all the possible uh, positive and negative impacts. They're just going to have to weigh weigh out what's what's positive EV. Like that's I mean, yeah, to decide and accept the negatives. Me personally, I actually like. Uh, Arbitrum as a chain itself with the quote-unquote games they've built. Um, so, I mean, airdrop or not, I I, I wouldn't care. Um, the only thing that would really make me salty is if they do uh, a geo block. That would be the first thing. And the second is, like, if they keep hinting and saying, yeah, we're doing an airdrop if you do this, this, and this, then that would kind of make me mad because I spend my time to do this stuff. But And, and they, they kind of did that with um i think it was the not the quest they did something in the beginning that was it called the collective or something odyssey um, the arbitrum odyssey yeah yeah now wasting time with that that was annoying but other than that like if they don't do anything i'd be fine but if you tell someone to do these tasks and you don't reward them for it that would make me salty but expecting an airdrop um just for using the chain like me personally I, I don't feel I deserve it, but I do like the experience that they created. Yeah, no, that's 100% agree. I mean, the thing is, I think probably they'll decide that it's worth it, but, you know, I've made good gains just from the fact that I was in Arbitrum early, right? Um, yeah. Regardless yeah. of whether there's an airdrop. But if they now do an airdrop in Geoblock, the US, uh, that would then make me salty. that goodwill is going to go away. Yeah, then that would make me salty. What probability is it that they do geoblock the US? Hi. You think there's a high chance? Yeah. Who knows? Like I couldn't put a number on it, but yeah, I'm probably high because I mean, 
that was the same thing that happened with DYDX. Like I was going to have a good airdrop and I spent a bunch when gas fees were high. I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, Cause like you guys I, I, I was the dummy who um, did the stable coins. Like I deposited in there and it was like, Oh, you can't withdraw if it's a certain amount. So I had to juice it up and I put in like, it's like 15 grand and stinking was sitting there forever. And um, cause instead of depositing, like uh, what was it? USDC or die? Like it, it said to make a trade. So in order to withdraw a certain amount, you had to um, withdraw like 15 grand. Um, and I deposited it into there and I made a trade, uh, with the amount I had in there. And it was like, Oh, you can't withdraw. It's either one or the other. So in order to swap back, the fees were going to be like three, $400. Uh, I mean, that made me salty because I, I spent like 500 bucks in gas fees and, um, swap wow. fees just in not getting their drop. <laughs> and I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. One, one thing they could do, uh, they thought about is they could, um, I guess then people still might be salty about not getting an airdrop. They could release a token and start off with something similar to the OP incentives where they give grants to top protocols. Yeah. And then I, I think that constructed I think with those protocols can, can benefit indirectly. Yeah. Well, well then that indirectly. would skyrocket their growth because all of the rates on the chain are going to go up immediately. People are going to start bridging liquidity they're going to get that increase in TVL and transactions. They're going to do a mix of both, yeah. I think. The, yeah, yeah, and then and then and then maybe some mix of both. But but that would be another possible solution. It's just it's I mean, there's no really good way to do it. And I think this is the problem all airdrops run into is even though you shouldn't expect free money, that the reality feeling, is that a lot of people do. How are you guys feeling about Phantom at the moment? What are our Bullish. what are our thoughts? I, I had a one hour interview with Michael. I don't know. If, assume you guys have watched it, but in case you haven't, um, that's, that's over on Banter. And like, we, yeah, we discussed a lot of stuff. I, I've got to say, what I do really like about the foundation is they're pretty level-headed and they're not going out and, and attacking other chains. Like, we, you know, we've seen other chains, I guess, be a bit abrasive recently to what, like, there's just hostility in general, especially like the Solana Aptos stuff and the Matic stuff. Um, I, I just like how Phantom's kind of lame. They don't really bother with outside noise they just build they don't try and go after these crazy bd partnerships they just they've just been kind of stacking runway building um hiring devs i don't know i just like the approach i just had a good feeling after the conversation i just thought yeah like it's it's pretty level-headed they don't seem to like they don't seem to um and maybe this is just the way they like uh, appeal but they don't seem to like rash or like short, short-minded. Like I think Andre said they had forty years of, of runway at the at the current burn rates, um, and that's not even factoring in Phantom revenue, which could push it out to fifty, sixty years. So that's it's a whole lot of runway, and probably more than most other ones. But of course, it's a niche chain. It's not like one of the major. Um, well, it's not like you know on an Ethereum BSC level. So maybe it doesn't command that, that kind of spend. Yeah, I, I've started to become interested in it again recently for the exact reasons you mentioned. And I think the fact that it's niche now is almost an appeal to me in a way, because if you look at most of the things that generated the outsized returns in crypto, you have, you know, first DeFi, NFTs. I mean, if you go far back enough, Bitcoin itself, it was the things that were niche and attracted a core group of tech enthusiasts. And to me, that is sort of where Phantom is now. 
Yeah, I, I agree. They they do a really good job of differentiating themselves from the rest of the market. Um, they they create a lot of different games than the uh, other protocols that they, that are out there. I think the biggest headwind for Phantom, and it's a pretty obvious one, is just the developer pool. I think probably what they've struggled with most, at least from an outside perspective, based on the latest like um, report from Electric Cap- Capital, the developer report, I think they have struggled com- comparatively to other projects, at least from the outside, to onboard new devs. Like Aptos has a really strong pool for a new dev. Like you're going to program or move, which has an efficiency bonus on Solidity. You're going to get massive grants. Like we have huge backing. Like and also Solana had the same pool in the beginning, and like now we're seeing like ZK and L2 products like start to ramp up in terms of their developer numbers. I think the main the main question I have is well, obviously we know how impactful developers are on an ecosystem. Like at the end of the day, without devs, you can't have great dApps that attracts users. So my question is, how does Phantom attract? It's not, I'm not actually even thinking about users because I actually think they're one of the best chains in crypto for attracting users because it's a good experience. The network barely goes down. The gas fees are low. It's EVM compatible. It's an interesting ecosystem. Like user-wise, they're very good at attracting users. My question is, how do they attract devs? That's where my headspace is more going at the moment. That's my only phantom headwind slash, it's not even a headwind, it can also become a catalyst, but it's just like a major consideration versus some of these yeah, other I, like, competitors. I totally agree. I mean, I, I would like to see more projects launching there. I mean, I don't know what they have in the works, but just tracking new launches. Um, I mean, they if they have 45 years of runway, which I think is what Andre said, then... Yeah, it's under, he that said that was, like it, Michael said that was underestimating. He said that was concerned. Yeah, so that seems like like an obvious area of spend, right? Um, you need devs, you have money. Devs need money. Uh, that that seems to me like like an easy fix. But I, I'm sure that the Phantom, Phantom Foundation is working on that. Sorry, yeah, I'm just glitching. But Patch, uh, sorry, Jake, you can go. Yeah, I was just gonna say um, they have a implementation on chain to where a percentage of the gas fees actually go to the developers. Um, I mean, it, it's good that it goes back to them, but then I'm also concerned that it's going to, uh, just basically create farming. gas farming, I guess you can yeah. call it to where it's just, everything's gas intensive. You do this, this, and this just to make a deposit. Whereas a protocol could just be something like Aave, uh, to where you literally just deposit your tokens, lend them out and then borrow some, and then you just want to go away. To where it might be gas farming, to where it's like, oh, well, you got to do this, this, and this, and if you want to lower your interest rate, you pay. You got to pay gas. I don't know. Just on the other hand, they do have a, stuff. They do have a project specific grants program with Gitcoin grants. So I think yeah, certain DApps get independent funding. But you're right in terms of like like newly deployed DApps, maybe that aren't as well funded. That's a strategy. Um, I should ask Michael that, but I can I can text him. I, the one one of the major takeaways though from my conversation with him and probably the biggest one was um, the, the kind of role that Andre's playing in, in the foundation. And what, what Michael said is like Andre's basically never been more involved and that when he was previously involved, he was working on, you know, solidly working on Yearn, working on all these other DeFi protocols whilst advising the foundation. Um, whereas he said now Andre's back, he's not actually working on independent DeFi dApps. He's working solely as a, an official um, advisor uh, of the foundation. So, like, he's basically 100% now phantom focused, 100% focused 
focused on Phantom's underlying tech, which he was like one of the main core con- original core contributors of. I mean, that I think that's their biggest bullish, one of their biggest bullish catalysts that you have probably one of the greatest developers in history now like fully focused on on the main chain instead of focused on the dApps. So I think that's that's pretty cool. It's one of one of my major takeaways. Yeah, and then you have the um, you have the upcoming FVM release, which is uh, I think another major major catalyst, also a major risk, right? Most catalysts are also risks if they don't go well. But yeah, uh, but, but I think there's a lot of big things coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, one thing I really like about them is their vision is actually trying to compete to be the dominant layer one, not because I think that they're guaranteed to succeed or that there's even a better than 50% chance. I don't, I don't know what I would put the percentage chance at. Uh, but to me, that's such a large compelling vision that I find it almost more attractive than someone saying they're going to be the top layer two on Ethereum. Right. It's like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the best minor league player. Well, why not be (laughs) the best major league player? I think a lot of L2s though, are just like pseudo L2s. They're kind of fake L2s. L2s are a great, when you look at a great a great initial onboarding strategy, and then one day they're going to be like, "Oh, we'll chill on chain," or like I don't know, it, it can things can design can change if you, if you build it in a modular enough way, you're like base consensus slash design can change. But I do agree with you. Like I think Juan, the community uh, manager at Phantom, said, um, or the head of community now, he said, like, "Yeah, we're not trying to be an L two. We're trying to take over the whole space. That's our vision." And I mean, as you said, probability wise, if we think probabilistically just solely based off market caps like it's probably got a sub 10 percent chance of doing that but the fact they're even striving for that i mean look kind of what is it shoot for the stars land on mars you know like try try and try and aim high and then anything less than that will, will, will still be like a decent result exactly and if, and if we're talking about future narratives say in the next bull cycle or even in a a echo bubble which is more attractive to your average retail investor, right? Someone who's talking about their building tech stack and this and that, or someone who has a vision for taking over the space. And is that fair? Is it right (laughs) that retail people tend to be attracted to simple, grandiose visions? I don't know, but it's a fact that it does happen. I mean, look at how high Cardano got, for example, solely on that vision. Has anyone ever done anything on Cardano? Like, I was. Have you tried using that network? It's honestly, I had a little bit of a giggle when I tried to use it the other day. I was just like, "Wow, we're in 2023." And I don't mean to shit on Cardano because I get it; they're going slow. I totally get it. Like, it's a different approach, but it is also at the same time almost remarkable that five years later we're still having this conversation. I'd love to see, I'd love to be able to interact with the DAP on Cardano and be like, this is a great experience, but we're just clearly not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do respect their vision of decentralization and trying to make it, I think, Charles Hoskins. Well, first off, Charles Hoskins, I think, is actually a great spokesperson for crypto. And the vision he talks about of anyone anywhere in the world being able to take a loan at any instant, I really like. Um, but I have not yet found a reason to use the network beyond uh i think i i think i bought and staked some ada in like january 2021 um that was that was my only time using the network i took i took some punts on like some seed round stuff in the cardano ecosystem but based that, that hasn't performed well 
basically like the seed investing is a dangerous game because timing is pretty important. Any all of the like seed round stuff I invested in during the bull run is like like looking terrible now. So I mean, if you're if you're into like getting into private rounds, I think now's a much better time at like more reasonable valuations. Um. And I always fully buy the way, I disclose when I'm an investor. And I've never, I don't think I've ever done a tweet on something I've invested in either. I keep that very separate from my content just, just for the viewers to know. Yeah, I, I haven't messed with Cardano much. I, I think I did Sunday Swap once and then like, I, I don't know if my funds are gone or something. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, it was it was a horrible experience. Um, yeah, I, I don't do Cardano DeFi. So... I've I've probably only got 10 more minutes, but I wanted to discuss off the back of Cardano, I think, I don't know, something interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Polkadot because I kind of view Dot in a similar realm to Cardano in the sense that, look, using Dot's definitely better than Cardano right now, but there's still probably, it's it's like one of those coins that performed really well in 2020, um, 2021, had a lot of hype, kind of fell flat. They really, mm-hmm. they work really well in the developer reports. Like, I think they're the top, they're a top three ecosystem for devs, but we don't yes. necessarily see the the fruits of that labor, at least not yet. So, do you guys have a have a view on Dot? Yeah, one thing I'll say about Dot, and I, I don't have any position. Just you know, I actually don't own anything in the Dot ecosystem. But first, there's the thing you said where I think they have the number two devs, and and that's been pretty consistent for a while now. And the number of devs they have has been growing. Um, and it's actually very interesting if you line up the number of devs they have from date of inception to the number of Ethereum devs from date of inception, then you can see that Polkadot is at a comparable, if not slightly above growth rate. Um, and the other thing that's caught my interest recently is there's actually been a number of projects that I were, was interested in. And then I come to find out that they launched on Polkadot. So you have BitTensor, which was a uh, AI based project that was sort of like a decentralized machine learning marketplace. Um, that's way, way oversimplification. And then you have Aster, which is a, a uh, blockchain network that's very big in Japan that's been performing well, and that's also on Polkadot. Um, so the fact that I had multiple things that I was drawn to that were on Polkadot has have made me recently reconsider that maybe it just took some time for their vision to play out because they had to they had to get the parachain auctions going on Kusama and then on Polkadot, and then once the auctions went, you had to take time for for projects to build and attract users, and so it's been a long process. But I haven't counted Polkadot out. Well, if your goal is to launch quick and get users like Arbitrum and Optimism, then making projects pay to build on your platform in the form of like parachain slots is probably not the most efficient model. But clearly, there are benefits. No. Security benefits. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, well, the difference is that the. Um, Difference is that those projects, they're paying, but they're starting an entire layer one, basically, right? Aster is its own layer one, and then anyone can launch a DAP, a DAP on it, but... Um, but you can build an it's also, it's also quite Cosmos. expensive. What's that? If I'm a, if I'm a dev, why, why would I just build on Cosmos? Full composability, can build like an app chain, spin it up relatively quickly, leverage like the, the Atom Hub, um, look great AMMs through like Osmosis to like provide liquidity, direct MEV. Like, what doesn't it make sense to? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just being devil's advocate to just. Yeah, no, I, I hold, I do actually hold Cosmos positions and I don't hold uh, Polkadot positions, but to, you know, be aware of the argument for Polkadot, 
I think you could say that, you know, bootstrapping a validator network is actually relatively difficult, right? Because you have to get all those people on board to run validators. Whereas some projects might decide that it's actually easier to just participate in a parachain auction and then not have to worry about that. Yeah, it's really interesting. The the Cosmos ecosystem, so I spoke to Jose. You guys may have read my thread there. I also retweeted the the, the Cosmos um, intern notes or the Delphi intern notes. I thought that was a super interesting converse of you guys. I mean, he's obviously... No, the thing you got to understand about these VCs is they're all invested, but they're also like gigabrands at the same time. So um, if you haven't checked that out, I'd check out that thread. Kind of maybe shifted my opinion on Cosmos a little bit. Like I already had some positions, but not su- wasn't like super deep, but I am like genuinely weighing up. And this is more long-term stuff, guys. This isn't short, short-term narrative trading. Like this is completely differentiated, but long-term I'm looking at things like you know, Injective, I think what Mars and Astro Report are doing is interesting. Um, obviously, like Kajira. But, like, th- then you've got, like, Osmosis. The valuation on Osmosis may be a little high for me. I'm looking for that to come down before I invest. I feel like that's I've been saying that for a while, but it just, just never seems to come down. Um, I don't know. What, what, what else are you guys looking in that eco? Uh, obviously, Injective. Uh, well, I do like Kanto. I like Kanto yeah, still. Um can't do and there's very nice rates on there. I mean, I think my big challenge I've had with with uh, Cosmos is that there's no clear one token that captures the value for the Cosmos ecosystem, or that's going to necessarily 100%. win. I mean, I mean, you could say Adam, but nah, I feel like I, I, I feel like every that, attempt that, every attempt to add value capture to Adam has been uh, um, <laughs> quashed. It feels like Adam so. Then then I'm <laughs> like Bitcoin. Adam is like Bitcoin in the sense that like it has a really passionate community, but like as soon as there's like any hint of like a change, they suddenly like tense up and get all like um, tribal about it or like maximalist about it. And they don't like, I don't know, it seems like a bit resistant to change, the Adam uh, community. And and maybe that's going to limit their, <laughs> like the ability for the Adam token to flourish. Certainly it has no impact in the eco though. Like you could have like an optimism or injective, sorry, not optimism. I'm not talking about osmosis. I'll both start with an O. And osmosis or an injective, like, yeah, become like the top app chains mm-hmm. and they could like out eventually like outpace Cosmos itself. But yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you share that view as yeah. well, Drake and Patrick? Um, it's possible. Kind of a bit resistant to change. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's very decentralized, the Cosmos hub, and they take governance very seriously. And to me, it exposes some of the challenges of governance is that when you actually want to make a major change, it becomes more difficult. Um, that being said, I do think if they were able to implement some some of these uh, proposed changes to add some real value capture to Atom and to, and to make Atom more of a either unit of exchange, unit of reserve, or just, or just a value capturing unit within the Cosmos ecosystem, then just because of the number of connections to the Cosmos hub and because of the size of it already, then I, I think it could potentially do very well. But the problem is right now, if I'm trying to invest in Cosmos, there's so many ifs in that statement that that, that to me, it's an obvious yeah. that's the way to capture the ecosystem growth. Well, you just said really interesting about like, and I think it really summarizes the entire essence of decentralization that, you know, governance, they're very decentralized, but relative to other chains, but governance makes change more difficult. I think this isn't like, it kind of validates this approach that in order to become decentralized, truly decentralized, you need to start centralized. 
And I think some of the most effective chains that have been able to launch and attract users quickly and pivot quickly have been the most centralized chains. And I know people hate to hear that, but it's just the reality. Like, look at Solana, look at BSC. Like, basically, the chains that gained, like, a lot of traction very quick, that they, they, they leveraged their centralization because they were able to, like, make changes on the fly very, very, very quickly. And I think there's something to be said for slowly transitioning to becoming, like, decentralized and, like, launching with, like, crazy governance parameters because we just don't really know yet how the best configuration of governments, governance looks. So it's interesting because everyone's kind of very like quick to say, this change centralized, Solana centralized, BSC centralized, this and that. But like we have to understand like it's, it's the pursuit of decentralization that counts because we're not there yet. It's the, it's the end goal to become decentralized. I mean, even Ethereum, even though it's, I mean, it's become more centralized since proof of stake, I think. But even Ethereum, like something that many consider to be more decentralized than other chains, like, do we really think that's fully decentralized? Like, it's lost, but I mean, not really. How many validators do you need to, to like reach its final goal? Probably like millions, right? Um, a thousand is not going to be enough. Ten thousand is not going to be enough. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting conversation. It's probably yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, no, it, it really is, and, and I think that. It's one of those things where people assume it should be decentralized right away, but to expect something to become decentralized in either immediately or within one or two years, I mean, it takes time to build great things. And, you know, how long did, for example, I mean, we don't even know this, right? Because we don't know who it is. How long did Satoshi work on the Bitcoin white paper before he published it? And then how long were there only a few developers working on the network before it really started to gain traction? Um, so I feel like, you know, those same people, if you were to say hold Bitcoin in the year after it's inception to those same standards they would complain about it but it's just that it takes time to build great things yeah i i i still um side to the uh, kind of just a statement you just uh made there um i feel bitcoin is the most decentralized because it's a piece of code that's just running and in doing its thing um but these other chains like Ethereum, uh, Polygon, Avalanche, in my opinion, they have to be a, a bit more centralized just to get junk done. Um, like having a fully decentralized organization, uh, nothing gets done. Like on Bitcoin, I mean, stuff gets done eventually, but it takes like three or four years just to implement. Uh, whereas if you have something that's a little more, in, um, more centralized on the uh, tech stack, uh, it's implemented sooner. I mean, it's fine at first, but there has to be a road to decentralization. Just like with any protocol, it's the same for the chains, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I think that's a good note to kind of wrap things up because we've been on for a couple hours and um, as you know, we, we can talk for hours. I think Patrick and Drake are doing a space. When is it tomorrow? If you guys want to tune into that at 6... Um, 6 a.m. my time. So what's that in the U.S.? 2 p.m. Eastern time. 2 p.m., yeah. Yeah, 2 p.m. EST. My, my head's spinning because I'm in like South African time for banter, Melbourne time for my personal life, American time for my content. My like Honestly, my my brain can't handle the math on all these all these time zones. I wish the world was just one time zone, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it would make things so much easier. <laughs> for coordinating everything. Um, I don't blame yeah. me on that, man. I also think one day we should, um, like, 
yeah, spaces are super cool, but I also think one day it'd be cool to have like you guys on maybe like banter or like do a YouTube thing and have some pre preset topics that you guys are like really want to talk about and we can plan it a little bit and, and do like a, a stream over there. I think that'd be that'd be cool to like also like yeah, shine the, the light on your knowledge to a, an even bigger audience. I think we should do that maybe next week if you guys are down or the week after. I'll check my Yeah, I'm down for it. Hit me up. Um that'll be yeah, I think that that's a good idea. So Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's it for today. Um last shout out and thank you to um to Kybersop for partnering with with the space. If you guys want to trade over there, I've I've pinned the tweet. Um it's it's kyberswap.com. And you can you can trade on the decks aggregates across basically every chain. And next week we um, doesn't aggregate sorry across every chain. It has every chain and it aggregates the best route on each specific chain. To clarify that. Um, and next week I'm planning a big space. Hopefully the market moves a bit more. So there's more. I mean we always have shit to talk about, but like admittedly today not as strong of a news day, just because I think everyone's just hanging out after PCE and. Everyone's a bit tentative and market's a bit boring. But next week, I think, um, or maybe towards the end of the week, we should see things pick up a bit. You know, just based on what the charts are, charts are saying. And I'm going to have XO on as well as Alex Kruger for a, a, another macro perspective. Always good to have multiple perspectives. And then that's really the goal with space is to like, um, get the smartest people on and, and get everyone's takes because everyone has different opinions. And I think it's good to you know, exit the echo chamber and, and get different opinions as well. Um, so yeah, next week should be a, should be a good one, which will be next Monday. And yeah, until then, make sure you give Patrick and Drake a follow. And yeah, I'll see everyone next week. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Thanks for hosting, man. Thank you, Miles. Cheers. Thanks, guys. See you later.